I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh my. Oh my. I've been here for four years now, and I've preached from this pulpit nearly 200 times, and at weekday masses even more often, and this is the first time that I stand before you and I say, I just do not know. This is a ridiculously hard, weird, backwards parable, and there are a million different ways to interpret it, all of them seeming to contradict one another, so I need you to think with me. First of all, this parable has some bad actors. A rich landlord who holds the debts of many. His manager, often called the unjust steward, who stands in for the landlord when he's gone and collects his debts. The manager is not only the hated debt collector, collector, but he's also been squandering his master's money, though we don't know how. And then we get these really confusing conclusions. The master congratulates the manager, calling him shrewd or wise for having forgiven debts and thus losing the master money then Jesus also seems to congratulate the manager for making friends through dishonest wealth, though later Jesus warns that we can't serve wealth and God. So just what is Jesus saying here today? What are we supposed to take away from this parable? How exactly is this good news? Well, let's back up. First, I think we need to understand a little about first century economics in Galilee. Charging interest was and is forbidden in the Bible, off limit to the Jews because it exploited the poor. Remember what we have heard from the prophet Amos earlier when he rails against those who buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Amos is condemning debt collectors who prey on poor people, hounding them for their debts, even throwing them into prison for owing something as small as a pair of sandals. The cry for economic justice runs throughout the Hebrew scriptures beginning in the Torah. Markets are allowed, profit is allowed, but the economy is meant to create a society in which people can thrive. It must be fair, and it must have a special concern for the powerless. The poor are not to be punished for being poor. So now fast forward back to the first century. At this time, despite the biblical teaching, 
rich landlords were often no better than loan sharks. Over time, the landlord has taken over the people's land through debt contracts. When their family had needed help during a rough patch, the rich man would have lent out money or oil or grain to get them through, but then he would have tacked on exorbitant interest. I mean, if you think the, loan, the interest rates on your student loans or mortgages are bad, consider this. Lenders then charged 25% on loans for money and 50% on loans of goods like grain or oil. And then often lenders would take advantage of illiterate farmers and hide the interest by rolling it into the principal. And then the manager would tack on his fees and then they'd tack on fees from the Roman government. In other words, by the time all the interest and the fees were added to the original loan, people were way over their heads. They could never pay back what they had borrowed. And then people often lost their land and became tenant farmers, essentially enslaved to landlords. That is where we are in the parable today. Now, if this sounds a little familiar to you, it is. It's not unlike the student loan debt crisis that is ballooning out of control right now. The graduates who just left college in May carry an average of $37,000 in debt, which translates to an average monthly payment of $351. Do you remember how much money you made when you were 22? Can you imagine trying to pay that? This situation is a lot like payday loan operations that charge fees that can amount to 400% interest. Perhaps you're burdened by a credit card or a mortgage that started out with a low interest rate that has now ballooned into something unmanageable. I could go on, of course, calling out how people who've gotten sick without adequate insurance suddenly find themselves deeply in debt, or how people who've been arrested can get out of jail in debt even though they're never convicted, they're charged to apply for a legal defense lawyer and daily room and board at the jail so that when they're released, they're already in debt more than they can afford. And all of these folks end up hounded and hounded and hounded by debt collectors. That's the situation we find ourselves in now. And that's the kind of situation that the landlord, manager, and farmers were in back then. While the landlord is away kicking up his heels in the big city, the manager, who probably grew up with the farmers, is now the bad guy, collecting all the landlord's debts from folks who have no hope of ever getting free of them, of ever getting ahead just a little bit, of ever being able to buy their own land, to be independent from the loan shark landowner. But this manager has gotten himself fired for squandering the rich man's money, and he panics. After all, as he says, he is too weak to dig and too proud to beg. How is he going to live without that job? 
He doesn't exactly have a bunch of friends among the farmers, since he's been busy collecting their debts. So he comes up with a scheme to ingratiate himself with both the farmers and the landowner. landowner. He slashes the debt of all those who owe his master. He may have just removed his own fees. He may have removed all the interest. We're not sure. Maybe he's just asking them to repay the original loan amount. But either way, he's brought great relief to those in debts. And even his master is happy because at least now some money's coming in. But what are we to learn? What are we to learn from this wily manager's approach, which is dishonest all the way around? What are we to learn from the commendation of it that we too ought to make use of dishonest wealth? Now, some commentators suggest that this parable advocates dismantling the master's house using the master's tools. In other words, by using unjust means, the manager was able to undermine an unjust system. Some people think that the phrase, if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own, refers not to the manager being faithful with the landlord's money, but with the debtor's money. He's been faithful with their little by giving it back to them. Still, there are others that think the whole parable is just an example of how the world works now, and it's meant to be contrasted with the beloved community which Jesus is always pointing to, where the poor won't be oppressed, and our relationships won't be manipulated by money and debt. You might like one or more of those interpretations, since we're not really sure what this means. But let me tell you my favorite. Here's my favorite. And it's offered by a wonderful theologian, Sarah Dillon Brewer, and thank God for her, because she saved my behind this week. She says that the shrewd steward panicked now that he's been fired, works quickly while people still think he's employed by the landlord. He calls people in and they think he still has authority to act under the landlord's name and he slashes their debt and they cannot believe it. They are free for the first time in their lives, for the first time in generations probably. Because they think that the manager speaks for the landowner, they now think that the landlord is a hero. He's the best. He's the most generous landlord that you could ever imagine. So when the landlord comes back from the city to visit the country, he's greeted with cheers and thanks. He is, after nothing but resentment and hatred all, after all these years, now he is loved by the tenant farmers. They're cheering, huzzah, the landlord's back, the generous landlord. And what's he gonna do now? Reverse it all? 
say to them, oh no, that manager wasn't speaking my name, please pay me, pay me all that interest that you owe, imagine the pitchforks coming out then. So instead, he takes credit for his manager's self-serving but ultimately life-saving acts, which means he gets to keep, he's got to keep that manager on. And now they can't go back to their old ways. They can't go back to oppressing people with crushing interest. So the system, the unjust economic system, at least in that area, is transformed to one where people actually thrive. Not only that, but people there are now in relationship with one another again. The landowner, landowner is no longer hated. The manager is no longer resented. The manager keeps his job. The people are not treated like things anymore, commodities just there to make money. They're treated like people with dignity. And all of this comes about from a dishonest manager, an unjust steward trying to save his own skin by forgiving debts. So, what are we to learn? I'm still working on that. But here are three short final thoughts. First, unjust systems turn people into things and they sever relationships. As Saint Augustine said, God gave us people to love and things to use, and sin is the confusion of the two. People to love, things to use, sin confuses the two. Second, we humans are prone to worship things rather than to love God. There's nothing wrong with money per se, but we are warned here not to turn it into an idol. The passage used to say you cannot serve God and mammon, not God and wealth, because mammon calls up that image of idolatry. Third and finally, God is a God of justice, a God who wants us to thrive, all of us, even, especially, the poor. And our systems should protect them. If all those things are true, if all those things are true, and I think they are, then somehow they must come to be, even if through odd and crooked means, even if the only way to forgiveness is through an unjust, shrewd, self-serving manager. He forgives for all the wrong reasons, but he forgives. And he finds a system transformed, relationships restored. There might be a reason, after all, that in Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, we pray, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Indebted to us. Not forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because with forgiveness, with forgiveness, forgiveness of debts, forgiveness of debtors, forgiveness of loan sharks, forgiveness of idolizing wealth, 
the kingdom of God can break in. The beloved community can grow even with scallywags and sinners, unjust managers and land shark, loan, loan shark landowners, even in unjust economies in first century Galilee and 21st century America. Even with you. Even with me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.